darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision. Hello and welcome to Criterion Close Up. I'm Mark Herney, and I'm here with Aaron West. Aaron, I have one word for you, and I'm sure you know what it is. Let's say it together. Plastics. Plastics. <laughs> <laughs> I added a syllable there. <laughs> I was yeah. gonna, I was gonna do something else, but it would kind of give away the ending, like yell your name, Aaron, Aaron. But anyway, okay. we're moving on. Episode 33. Uh, folks have seen the movie; they know we're talking about The Graduate. Uh, with Mike Nichols today, but before we get into that, we have to welcome, we have a, a first-time guest, um, but not a, not a first-time talker uh, as far as uh, I'm concerned. I've guested on your show so many times, Tim. It's been awesome to do that, and I'm very excited to have you on, finally, on Criterion Close-Up. Welcome. Oh, hi, you, Mark. You didn't say who it was. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Tim, sorry, Tim, Mr. Tim Costa from First Time Watchers. My goodness. So, and I got to oh, say, hi, hey, Mark. Tim. Tim. Uh, oh, oh, hi, Mark. You, happy... you got Mark to watch the room, so that uh, <laughs> you're gold in my book. <laughs> uh, oh, hi, uh, it is a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm really honored. I feel a little out of my league uh, right now. A little uh, like I, I'm I'm almost drowning, if you will. Mm. Oh, nah. In, in that wetsuit, huh? <laughs> Yes, indeed, indeed. There is no league, Tim. Uh, okay, if you say so, if you say so. But uh, seriously, you know, if I if there were leagues, I think yours would be uh, the the major leagues. Well, we're on our show, kind of floundering in, in single A. Maybe maybe getting up to double A every <laughs> once in a while. <laughs> Not nice. Uh, well, hey, you guys did uh, Rafifi recently, so or a few weeks yeah. back. So uh, yeah. we did, yeah. After after hearing you praise it uh, a little bit earlier, I think, and nice. uh, and yeah, it certainly interested us. Well, I, I got to say, happy 200th episode. That is uh, awesome. Yeah, well, and, thank and you very much. For those that don't know, Tim is from First Time Watchers podcast, uh, which Mark has a segment, Criterion 101. So is this like Criterion 102? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> this is the graduated course right here. Yeah, yeah, for, the, for everybody literally. needs to take the, the, the master's course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, and yeah. we're talking about the graduates. So. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I, really actually, that's that's what you called him uh, the right before he started the show, right? You said yeah. he graduated. <laughs> so. He certainly did. He certainly did. Yep, and he found a great partner in you, Aaron. Yeah. Well, thank you. And mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed hearing uh, your the words. Uh, uh, in fact, I, I almost cried during your 200th <laughs> episode and uh, and all the gushing. Um, and it was al- almost to the J.D. Brendan level, but not yes. quite. <laughs> uh, well, you know, all the credit does belong to Brendan, uh, yes. But uh, <laughs> a- a- when it comes to your show, it, it, every word that I said uh, during that segment was absolutely true. So I'm I'm very proud of you. It's it's like uh, it's like one of my own it got, has gone on to, That's to right. college. You know, <laughs> yeah. <and it> is. <laughs> so proud. Well, not yet. We're not to 40 episodes yet. Right. By then we're we're, yeah, we'll, we're getting getting close. We're getting close. <laughs> yeah. Tier. Yeah, I actually just came across that today, so the, the symmetry was was very nice. Nice, nice words. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, no You're problem. Very kind. Yeah, it's it's been uh, you know, folks can tell. I've known Tim for a while. He's a great guy. Does a great job on first time watchers. Of course, with Tim, uh, with uh, Hermano and uh, Walter, 
too. So really good show. And we'll, we'll get their link uh, a little bit later. Folks definitely want to check them out there. A lot of fun to listen to and uh, very knowledgeable, although Tim says um, mm-hmm. otherwise they are. sometimes. So. They are. Yeah. <laughs> You're too kind. Yes. Very <laughs> cool. So, um, but if, so as we already mentioned, we are going to be talking about Mike Nichols, the graduate from 1967. But before we get into that, there's a line from first time watchers. We are, <laughs> we've got to kick it back to Tim. Tim, we want to know about your criterion connection. How did you first become aware of, or what was your first criterion release? I learned it from watching you. Okay, I learned it from watching you. Uh, in, all, in all seriousness, uh, yeah, Mark, uh, it, it was really you, I think, when we brought you onto the show after our 100th episode, because that's when you first joined us. Yep. Uh, you know, you, you, the several times afterwards that you were on our show, you started you know, discussing all these Criterion films, and, and that's... Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in hearing you uh, guest on some other shows as well, you you would discuss the Criterion Collection, and that's really when it opened my eyes to as to what that was. So I was really a newbie. I honestly didn't even realize I owned two Criterion DVDs until like after you had started joining the show, and I I started paying attention to what my spines actually said and looked like, <laughs> and and uh, the the two Criterions I owned were uh, RoboCop. And Armageddon, uh, unbeknownst to me, you know. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it was really you who helped open my eyes to that world, and then uh, I was. It made me appreciate, you know, that that niche, uh, that niche, if you will, you know. So, uh, yeah, uh, it, it, it was. It, it's only been the last couple of years that it, I've really. Um, you know, become aware of it. And so honestly, I'm mm-hmm. your least qualified candidate to ever have on the show <laughs> in more <laughs> ways than one. Well, it's oh, funny is when so. you, when you tweet us and say, Oh, I got a criterion play the, and we play the guessing game. And I, I know yeah. remember one was the 400 blows. Uh, I think the other was Rafifi and I, I think there were some others too. So. The, the, yeah, we'll get into that. I think a little bit later, but yes, uh, uh, it, it honestly, it's just, happenstance when netflix sends me a criterion dvd you know and then i'm like oh i should i should tweet you guys yeah yeah we we like to we like to see that of course and you know you mentioned (laughs) that uh i you had sent me off graduated to college but you know they call criterion film school in a box so you know i've uh, Uh, helped graduate to criterion uh, yes and after uh after this um uh, extensive research, uh, you know, in this uh, uh, schooling, in this box that we're going to be talking about, I can definitely see where you're coming from. Nice, nice. Yeah, Glad this one is, into is pretty full. Hmm. Yeah, it's more, well, we'll get into it, more stacked than, <laughs> than uh, a lot of them, but yeah. Oh, interesting. It's uh, quite the disc. Okay. Yes. So, yeah. And so we just have a couple other things we wanted to mention when uh, we'll get into some short takes, but... Uh, we wanted to mention the, if folks haven't checked it out yet, we had an inaugural episode on uh, Criterion Cast called Criterion Cast Chronicles that Aaron had the pleasure of joining. He was joined by Ryan, David, and Scott talking about the uh, February Criterion releases. And uh, yeah, first episode, number one, kind of a episode where instead of talking about what is coming they've talked about uh, what was just released so the month in review and uh, mm-hmm. it was great Aaron it was a uh, really fun to listen to great to hear your takes on it and it gave us a little insight into your thoughts on the graduate too 
Well, we'll see about that. Uh, <laughs> I think I, I said the graduate was the one I was least uh, looking forward to. So, um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see, see if, if that, that changed. Through. It was really the brainchild of uh, Ryan, Ryan Gallagher, and uh, and you know we kind of all put our heads together and. And yeah, he has a great panel there, yourself included. And I hopefully you can make the next one. I I think that's uh, that's happening. I think that's in and, the plan. Uh, yeah, so it's a great series, and um, you know we we have our close up, which is kind of a nice supplement too, because those are more short short takes. And uh, and you know, of course, we talked about the graduate, but now we're going more uh, in depth on the graduate, and I'm sure that'll be a recurring theme as we um, grow there and grow here. Yeah, yeah, it was a, a lot of a lot of fun to listen to. So again, recommend folks check out CriterionCast.com. Check out Chronicles. Of course, you can find us there too. Other other great shows. So uh, you should yeah. be listening on a regular basis. Lots of good content. Go to the Criterion Master Feed, and I think there's going to be a feed for Chronicles. There might already be. I, I didn't check before the show, uh, mm-hmm. but if not, it's it's just easier to get uh, everything at, at the Master Feed. Yep, yep definitely. So I uh, wanted to mention a couple of feedback items from our gross out episode. Um, we had asked for some feedback and we, we got some. Um, <laughs> one of the things that we'd, we'd asked about was really wanted to get a female perspective on Lars von Trier. Uh, Tim, I, I know you, you've, you've seen a Lars von Trier film, haven't you? I've seen a couple of them. Uh, one of them... Nymphomaniac, that, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, Nymphomaniac is actually... Uh, was in my top 10 of last year, as well as making my top five of the decade so far. Oh, wow. nice. Nice. <laughs> yes. or, or 2014, right? Wasn't that Nymphomaniac? I think. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, whichever year it came out in, it was my in my top it, 10. It made the top 10. Yes. Nice. yes. Well, we, we, we got some feedback because we, we were you know curious. Some have accused uh, Lars von Trier of being misogynistic. And... Um, you know, curious, we, we wanted to get, we had four guys on the show and differing opinions. And so we wanted to get a female perspective. And, uh, luckily we got Leanne Kubitz from, uh, LMK films. Uh, we'll actually link to her nymphomaniac review in the show notes. Um, she sent us some feedback. So I just wanted to, to read briefly. Uh, firstly, she gave us some yay us feedback. So thank you, Leanne. We appreciate that. Always. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> uh, she said, you know, she's a huge admirer of, of Lars von Trier. I actually do believe he's the best director in the world. They're close to it. It was very interesting hearing your thoughts on the misogyny or perceived misogyny of his work. Many male critics feel that way, yet I feel the opposite. I see Von Trier's work as being completely truthful of what it's like to live as a woman. I don't know how he totally gets it as he's a man, but he really nails it. Life is that difficult when you are a woman. Every single Von Trier woman feels real to me, and I see myself in them. I'm not reading all the notes, but uh, a couple things uh, here from Leanne. Again, she says, The hopelessness of doing everything right, uh, putting out a brave face for others, working for a sociopath just to make a bit of money, pervasive sexism, are experiences which most women deal with daily and internalize. I feel a sort of catharsis from his work. He's showing the truth of womanhood and it is not a joyful uh, position. It is de- demoralizing and may leave you broken. So and she mentioned a bit about Nymphomaniac um, about the end there. I'm just going to um, leave it there. Uh, yeah, some mm-hmm. great feedback, Leanne. Yeah, really appreciate and- that. By the way, he would agree that he is the greatest filmmaker ever. So, Leanne, <laughs> you have right. that in common. <laughs> um, uh, I actually have some feedback, uh, some some similar feedback. Remember how I wondered how Christian would respond? 
or how she would uh, judge uh, whether uh, Von Trier is a misogynist. Well, I, I yes. just asked her, and she said no. <laughs> so there you go. He's not a misogynist. Wow. And I think, uh, Aaron, you had some uh, feedback on The Devils from someone else? I did, from my friend Alan, uh, who is nice. one of the smartest film guys I know. And uh, he, he really enjoyed our discussion. Uh, and he had some comments about you know the religion and politics. And he said, uh, the biggest problem is that it's perceived as being about religion and politics and intolerance. And of course, it's about that. Uh, Russell and Reed in, partic- in particular were inspired by the troubles in Northern Ireland. But at, at its heart, what people don't get is that it is a black satire. And that is why uh, Russell and Redgrave were, were laughing. Uh, at its absolute mm-hmm. bedrock, it's not about religion or politics, but about the marketing and creation of hysteria and how people can be manipulated by hysteria into doing the exact opposite of what is best for them. Uh, and he goes on about um, uh, more plot details. You know, he, he wrote a pretty long thing, but, um, but you know, I can see that, too. Uh, of course, you didn't get to see The Devils. Uh, and, Tim, I doubt you've seen it. I have not. Hmm. See it. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, it's one I really wanted to to catch up with. So, and I, I know it was high on Cole's list. I think he, he listed it number one of all the ones that we reviewed. So, high praise from uh, from Cole and you, Aaron. Good stuff, and I would love to see a, a Criterion release. Yeah, nice. So let's get into some short takes. Uh, we're going to do one film. Uh, this is where we talk briefly about something that we've seen recently, uh, similar to your <laughs> yay or nay uh, <laughs> segment, Tim. Uh, we, we uh, you know, it was one of those things. We do watch some other movies, and we felt it was a, it's a fun way uh, to just give a short take and you know see what uh, sh- share some thoughts. Maybe people want to check it out. Uh, maybe not. So I'll turn it to you, Tim. Uh, what did you watch? I, well, I could give you if we're going to be discussing one film, I could give you uh, a choice uh, between two. Uh, one one is a Criterion okay. <laughs> film uh, that's highly highly regarded. And the other one is a certain um, Netflix uh, series where I watched the pilot, and it's called Fuller House. <laughs> yeah, let's go with the Criterion one. <laughs> are, are, you sh- yeah. are you sure? You're, you're 100% positive. Yeah, I, I've yeah. already got the Fuller House take from my daughter, uh, and it's thumbs down. So, yeah, let's hear your Criterion <laughs> take. Uh, well, it's a certain um, uh, Bergman film mm. Uh, mm. that... Uh, I think I, I teased you guys about. Uh, it's from 1957, and it's called The Seventh Seal. Ah, oh, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, playing chess. I, so, as I'll probably prove later on this episode as well, that I'm completely out of my element when it comes to, to this film. Um, <laughs> I, this, wow. Uh, so this is my very first uh, Ingmar Bergman film. And I think, Mark, when you were on our show mm. uh, some weeks ago, you had suggested this be the introduction to Igmar Birdman. Um, and yep. uh, and I, I, I guess I can see why, because uh, it, it has an interesting mix, I guess, of high art as well as interesting drama. Um, so, but there's, there's a lot in here that is just well above my head. I understand that it's a... a uh, allegories and metaphors up the wazoo, you know. <laughs> uh, so, um, I, I mean, just just the synopsis itself ha- has a lot of layers to it, where a man seeks answers about life, death, and the existence of God as he plays chess with the Grim Reaper during the Black Plague. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of layers there, and a lot yeah. of of things, ju- just elements to dig into. Now, mind you, it's been a few weeks since I've seen this, so. Not everything is fresh in my mind, but um, I do remember seeing 
Max von Sydow and thinking, has he always looked old compared to his age? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Because apparently, what, he's in his 20s, I think, uh, at this time. Uh, maybe around 30 years old, and he he looked like he's well into his 40s at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, yeah, like I said, there's so much to dig into that it's so... It's so hard, you know. Honestly, Netflix sent me the the Criterion disc, and and it's not something I delve into to because when it comes to Netflix disc, it's more for me. It's just I I would rather just watch it and then go on to the next movie, you know. So send it back. So I don't know how well I can actually talk about all the the themes and and the layers in this movie, but it's very deep, very. It isn't grossing. It, it, it's it's not. I didn't find it boring at all. I just found it uh, uh, complicated. I think it's challenging. It's a kind of word. Yeah. Challenging is a good word. Yes. Absolutely. Well, what what Mark yes. didn't tell you is that uh, it, it is the best entry point for Bergman. But the thing is, you have to watch it nine times. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Uh, yikes! Yikes! Uh, and uh, yeah, he he was. Um, you, you were right with Von Sydow. He's twenty eight years old. There. I was just yeah. looking it up. So. And yeah, for what it's worth, yeah. I would actually recommend Wild Strawberries as the intro to Bergman, personally. Okay. I, I think I, I can see how, uh, well, it, it's dense too, but in a different way, in a little more accessible way. But yeah, Seventh Seal is pretty heady. heady. Yeah. And, uh, you know, looking back on it, maybe something like uh, Smiles of a Summer Night, because it's, you know, it's a comedy, yeah. might, e- might even be better. But I, I think... S- Summer know, with gotta, Monica, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. But you, you, you've got to, I mean, if you're really going to get Bergman... Um, you know, maybe start there and then move to the seventh seal. But oh, okay. okay. Yeah, if, if that's that's a great barometer to t- see if you're going to like Bergman or not. Uh, so yeah, okay. uh, yeah. If if I go into Bergman again, it, it, it may be those that you recommend, but it'll probably be a little bit because uh, it, it's sure. it's cer- it certainly seems like he is someone who likes to toy with. Um, with uh, uh, deep thematic elements. <laughs> yes. So. Yes, that's an understatement. Uh, <laughs> he yeah. was a very deep filmmaker. Uh, so. Sure, sure. And so. in fact, uh, somebody on Twitter asked us if we're going to cover Bergman at some point, and I think, yes, we couldn't have a Criterion podcast without yeah. it. So yeah, I was going to say, I, yeah, I, I can't there. imagine you not covering him. <laughs> yeah. The question is how to do it right. So Sure. Yep. So, uh, Aaron, I'll, I'll turn it to you. What's your short take? Well, mine is not on Criterion. I watched a, uh, I think it was an Arrow release. I watched uh, Cinema Paradiso, uh, the 1988 Italian film. Uh, I'd seen it before. I'd seen the shorter version. Uh, there are two versions. There's one that's uh, just a little over two hours, and then a director's cut, which is three hours. And we watched the uh, the director's cut. Uh, have you have you guys seen it? Yes. Uh, I yeah, it I. I saw it a couple of uh, years ago, and I believe I saw the director's cut, and I bawled my eyes out at the mm. end. Okay, well, I, I did not like the director's cut at all. I, um, the, the director's cut, well, I, I won't go into the ending, but uh, the, the, the regular movie, the, 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 um, the theatrical, is very, very moving, very uh, impactful, and very emotional at the end. Whereas I, I think the, the director's cut, it adds about an hour to, to the end, and and you you see what actually happened, uh, and I think it kind of loses the magic. So okay, then so, then I did not see the director's cut then, because if you're talking about how emotional the ending is, I, I remember that very clearly. So I definitely saw the the theatrical version. Hmm. 
Yeah, I I might ask you off air. I don't want to spoil uh, both cuts cuts for our, our listeners that haven't seen it, but uh, but yeah, I I still liked it. It was it was kind of interesting, but uh, if you're if you haven't seen it before, I would recommend the shorter cut, which is uh, I mean, it's still two hours. It it moves very fast and uh, it has a, a beautiful score by uh, Morricone, one of my oh, favorite yeah. Morricone scores. Uh, it's very, it's not you know like the the typical we think of you know the the Tarantino ripoff uh, or spaghetti western ones. Uh, but uh, yeah, a beautiful movie. A little bit on the sentimental side, but uh, you know, I, I, forg- I forgive it. Uh, of course, it goes through film history. Uh, has a big scene from uh, Il Grido in it, so that uh, that gets me going. Uh, so anyway, that, that's my short take. And uh, nice, nice. That yeah, that's that's kind of a favorite of mine. I picked up that that Arrow disc too. I just love the movies about movies. Uh, sort of yes, sir. With that one. <laughs> so my my short take uh, is a new film. Folks might have heard of it uh, just because it uh, won the Oscar this year in Spotlight, nice. 2015. Director Tom McCarthy. Uh, uh, Aaron, I know you've seen this. Have you seen this, Tim? I have, and it was also uh, my co-host Wally's uh, favorite movie of the year. Nice, wow. nice. That's right. Did nice, it make your yeah. list? I couldn't remember. No, I think it was around number fourteen on my on my okay. top twenty. Okay, so th- this one is uh, its the true story of how the Boston Globe uncovered the massive scandal of child molestation and cover-up within the local Catholic archdiocese, shaking the entire Catholic Church to its core. Um, this one won a, a couple of Oscars. It won Best Picture, of course, uh, which in retrospect really is not a surprise. And it also won Best Original Screenplay um, for Josh Singer and Tom McCarthy. So best writing, best original screenplay. Um, stars Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, Liv Schreiber, and John Slattery uh, of uh, Mad Men fame. So this film, I thought this film moved rather quickly, uh, kind of surprisingly uh, for me, for such a you know dialogue-driven film. And of course, it's you know it's it's such a compelling investigation. Um, and you know I, I know this film has been really compared to, of course, All the President's Men because it, it shows the, the, how uh, news is uh, delved into and considered and the uh, investigation and how long it takes and, you know, knocking on doors and, uh, you know, all those pieces. So, um, yeah, I, I thought it, it moved along really well. I felt a little shell-shocked after the film, which I think is a, a good thing in that mm-hmm. uh, it certainly affected me. Um, I, I even noticed in the credits um, that one of there was an allegation for me locally here in Vermont, uh, right right next door, and so oh, you know, wow. that's kind of a yeah, that's like a, a gut punch, um, you know, similar yeah, to I, the film. Ta- you talk about the gut punch. The it definitely continues throughout the the credits when uh, there's just a, a long list. Let's just say, yes, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough, and I, I you know I know this this all took place not too far from you, Tim. So, I uh, yeah yeah uh, about about thirty miles north. Yep. Yep. So, and this you know I would like to see actually would like to see a, a documentary style uh, about this story because I think you could see both sides of it. Um, and you know you really the only other side you kind of see with this is. Uh, with the the one priest and but on the other hand I think it's almost perfect that the only view that you get is to uh, really with that priest where you know he says well but I, I didn't I didn't enjoy it 
you know, so he's really, uh, right. a, there's that theme of, you know, justifying people, justifying their actions, uh, in this film. So, yeah, I wonder, yeah. I wonder how a documentary would really be any different, uh, other than more factual evidence and, and instances more different mm. than, than the movie itself. You know, uh, I, I wonder how much more ground it could cover. Yeah. Yeah. It'd probably be more interviews with the, the, the people involved and, uh, yeah. you know, of course, less fictionalized. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I liked it too. I, I, I would say, uh, I, mean, I haven't seen all the best picture nominations, uh, this year, but I'm, I'm not disappointed with it winning. Uh, Sure. I, I, of course, I would pick probably of the ones I've seen. I'd pick Mad Max, but yes. Actually, did you watch it with a wife? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She. Yeah, my uh, wife loved it. Oh, really? Loved, loved it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yours? Yeah. I, I. I think she was there. She felt. Uh, she seemed kind of shell shocked, like I did after. So yeah, we we both liked it a lot. Yeah, it's so, a moving movie. Well done film. Yeah. Really, really yeah. great ending. Uh, the the ending is 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 perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think so. All right, now yeah. we're gonna cry as we uh, go to plastics and uh, and seducing. <laughs> Cinema Paradiso spotlight. Uh, so cool. Well, and I should mention uh, I, I I did want to include just a, a link to my I finally posted my top ten films of 2015, and Aaron mentioned uh, Mad Max, which I'll just spoil and say that was my my number one. So we'll include a link to that. Uh, folks want to check that out. There's a few other art house movies that uh, hopefully uh, folks have seen, and if you haven't. Just some recommendations of mine. So. Oh, and you might be able, also be able to hear it on a certain uh, show that yes. others might be able to listen to. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, Tim. Yeah, I we covered our. I joined part two of the the best of 2015 on first time watchers, and I actually got to list the other the other five too. But yeah, that was a fun discussion. Thanks again it was. for having me. It on. was. So, did Spotlight make the list? Well, I hadn't seen it then, so um, I haven't changed my list after seeing Spotlight. Okay. Yeah, just kind of kept it where it was. I'm thinking probably, I, it's hard to say because I still have a lot to see, but I, I'm thinking probably I'm with Tim, you know, m- maybe in the teens. Uh, good movie, but maybe not the best of the year. Yeah, yeah, it'd probably be, be close for me, maybe number 10. Yeah. So, well, we're going to take a, a quick break. We had The Sound of Silence lead us in, and we're going to, of course, transition with Mrs. Robinson before we get into The Graduate. So we'll take a break and come right back. And here's to you. Mrs. Robinson, Jesus loves you more than you will know. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God bless you, please, Mrs. Robinson. Heaven holds a place for those who pray. Welcome back, everyone, to Criterion Close-Up. I'm Mark Herney, here with Aaron West and our special guest, Tim Costa, of the First Time Watchers podcast. We are here talking about The Graduate from director Mike Nichols. 1967 film. Uh, writer Buck Henry, Henry and Calder Willingham, maybe. Uh, the novel is by Charles Webb. The actors, Dustin Hoffman plays Benjamin Braddock, and Bancroft plays Mrs. Robinson, Catherine Ross, Elaine Robinson, and we have Murray Hamilton as Mayor Vaughn. Oops, uh, sorry, I yeah, jaws in the brain. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Robinson and uh, William Daniels, Elizabeth Wilson as Mr. and Mrs. Braddock. Um, this is a very well-known film, uh, spine number 800 for the Criterion Collection. Award-wise, I mean, it won Best Director Oscar for Mike Nichols, and it was nominated for Best Picture 
Best Actor for Hoffman, Actress for Bancroft, uh, Supporting Actress for Ross, the three, first three I mentioned. Also, a screenplay for another medium, Willingham and Henry, and Cinematography, Robert Surtees. So those are some topics we'll get into in uh, a little bit. Uh, of course, this is a film, really one of the most beloved films uh, of all time. Uh, brought Simon Garfunkel music to a wider audience and introduced us to Dustin Hoffman. And uh, the character, Benjamin Braddock, is he just finished college. He's already lost in a sea of confusion, barely contained angst when he becomes sexually involved with the friend of his parents, the indomitable Mrs. Robinson, uh, before turning his attention to her college-age daughter. So, yeah, this is... Um, Quite the film, Spine Number 800, again, this is a big deal for Criterion to be releasing something like the, this type of film and, um, you know, having a, you know, the, the 100 Spine Numbers, they typically go out with a, a really special release. Um, so uh, important that this is here. We, we kind of wanted to set things up a bit with the, uh, the 1967 film scene. There's a really great book uh, that uh, I know Aaron has read. I listened to the, the audio book. A uh, very great audiobook called Pictures at a Revolution, uh, Five Movies and the Birth of the New Hollywood. So we thought that's a good way to kind of set this up before we go into the film because it uh, was nominated for Best Picture and, as I mentioned, did not win. Uh, but, Aaron, I'll turn it to you. Stop talking for a minute and, uh, <laughs> you know, give us a sense of, um, you know, this this scene, the 1967 film scene. It, it's talked about quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, so let, let's set it up for listeners. Sure, yeah. Well, that, that book is, I, I would highly recommend uh, Pictures at a Re- Revolution by uh, Mark Harris, and uh, it, it pretty much sums up, well, it's, it's really about the five Best Picture uh, nominees from that year, and as you noted, uh, The Graduate was one of them. It lost to uh, In the Heat of the Night. Uh, there was mm-hmm. another one, was Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, there was also uh, uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and the other one mm-hmm. was Dr. Doolittle, <laughs> which doesn't, it's kind of <laughs> kind of the outlier. Uh, yeah. But it was really more about the transition from uh, old Hollywood to new Hollywood. Uh, you know, we we talked about the studio system uh, a couple weeks ago. Did we? Yeah, I think we did. <laughs> I forget. Uh, oh, we talked about the code a couple weeks ago. And anyway. Yeah, yeah, we did get into the code. Yep. So, but this was, of course, this was the end of the Hayes Code. And uh, uh, oh, actually, one thing, one connection with the last, uh, the Grossad episode is we did mention that the code was more lenient with uh, War as Hell movies. And uh, one of those was the pawnbroker, and so th- they allowed a snippet of nudity to show through because of uh, because it was showing uh, the torture of war, mm-hmm. and uh, and the graduate actually piggybacked on that, and that's how uh, we got that uh, that little nude uh, frame of uh, of Bancroft. <laughs> anyway, the, f- the flash. I'm getting ahead of myself mm-hmm. here. So it's it's about uh, those those five movies, and if you think about it, really two of them are. I wouldn't say establishment Hollywood because they both had Poitier. Uh, you know, one was a, a kind of a civil rights sort of picture. Uh, the other was a detective. Uh, the, the winning picture was more of an old school detective movie. And even though it had Poitier, it was uh, you know he intentionally did not want to play a, a race relations role. He wanted he wanted to actually play uh, just have uh, African American play a, a regular character. In this case, a detective, uh, Mr. Tibbs. And uh, then the graduate and Bonnie and Clyde were something completely new. Uh, they they were subversive. They they broke through uh, the the norms of, of that the studios were producing. Uh, they introduced a lot of sensuality uh, to the uh, uh, to to film, 
I, you know, actually Warren Beatty may be more of a, a prototypical star, but Dustin Hoffman is not. Mm. And, uh, and, and of course, Warren Beatty and Bonnie and Clyde was portrayed as being impotent. And that's not exactly a, a leading man kind of character. But then on the other hand, you had Dr. Doolittle, which uh, I think is basically remembered as being, you know, maybe okay at best. Uh, you know, some might say, uh, heaping pile. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a fan of Dr. Doolittle, but it's really not my type of movie. And that no. just shows that, you know, the Academy doesn't always get it right. Uh, and sometimes it'll just reward a film just for, you know, making money or that sort of thing. That, that probably hasn't changed too much. Uh, anyway, they were, they were all uh, influenced by the, the French New Wave, Italian neorealism. In fact, uh, you know, Mike Nichols talks about uh, Blow Up and Persona in his commentary. So, these were very much a product of of those of, of these other film movements, and in fact, uh, Francois Truffaut and Jean Luc Godard were actually uh, attached to Bonnie and Clyde at one point. Uh, however, Mike Nichols was always uh, going to do The Graduate after after Virginia Woolf. So anyway, that was uh, probably longer than than you wanted, but uh, it does sum up the year. It was a, a big year for for American film, and it pretty much ushered in what we think of as the American New Wave, uh, which would lead to some really good uh, American work in the 70s. Perfect. Yeah, I love it. Nice nice work, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, you, do, you, you do a great job with those setups. It's been a, you know, a few years, probably three years since I, I listened to it, and uh, yeah, it was a great synopsis. Um, I, I did want to mention um, just a, a couple things. Uh, you'll have to forgive me for bringing up the uh, Howard Suber commentary early. Uh, but there are a couple things that are, are mentioned there that I think help with the the setup uh, with this the film scene and what's going on at the time, uh, where we we speak of uh, it, in the commentary. It's a again we'll talk about it later. He speaks about the beginning of uh, the youth film movement with the Graduate. Uh, will be of course more closely identified with Easy Rider a couple of years later in '69. Uh, and the, the backdrop to this is there is the of course the 1964 Civil Rights Movement. Um, which had moved to national attention um, in in 1964, I should say, and then later that year, uh, the free speech movement moved to Berkeley, and then in '67, we we're getting students seizing campuses. So, of course, mm-hmm. part of this film uh, takes place there, and we we don't uh, we don't really uh, see that. We kind of miss that. And there there was also uh, something you know um, I think this was mentioned about the kind of the sealing off of the the old culture and i was thinking about maybe you know the sealing off of the old film culture too um which we'll we'll talk about later uh, when we get into the ending so i'll save that uh, until we get into quote-unquote spoilers but uh that's um that's the setup that's the 1967 film scene and uh, we thought we'd of course get into some of the filmmaking style we do have a couple of questions uh, Tim, I'm curious what you thought of uh, the really the you know the filmmaking as far as the the acting. We'll kind of uh, include acting and cinematography together. Anything on the direction too? I mean, it's really um, he Nichols had won for um, you know had, kind of considering maybe this should have won Best Picture. I think if I was going to vote, I would go this or um, Bonnie and Clyde really over the the other films, but. Um, you know, he did win for directing, so you know, feel free to mention anything there. But yeah, acting, cinematography, directing, any any of the filmmaking pieces that really stood out to you, Tim? Uh, well, when you talk about the other films that that were up for Best Picture, I had, I've only 
seen Bonnie and Clyde out of the other uh, four. So, okay. Uh, and this is this is actually the second time I've dug into this movie because we actually reviewed this movie back in episode one fifty six sometime last year uh, on That's our right. show. That's right. That's right. I remember and, you you uh, you mentioned that as uh, one of your top five uh, uh, films that you guys reviewed, if I remember, on your two hundredth episode. Yes, because yeah. it left a big impact with me. I think it's one of my favorite films that we've reviewed uh, out of the 200 plus movies that we've talked about. And and it's, um, I, I don't know, there's something that really connected uh, to, with it to me. And when you talk about directing, I, I can definitely see that. You know, one of the interesting things I think as we'll get into it later in the show is the, the um, when I first got the disc, the first thing I did was I watched the movie with the commentary uh, with... Uh, Nichols and um, Soderbergh, and oh, yeah. so, and honestly, like I've alluded to earlier in the show, I'm I'm the worst person to have on this this kind of show <laughs> because because I am uh, not one to dig into special features. So me going into most of these special features is something unique to me. Um, and when it comes to commentary tracks, I honestly don't think I've ever listened to a commentary track while watching a movie before. Wow. Um, so, so it was something new to me. Uh, and, but one thing I appreciated while watching the commentary is I, is you're not hearing the dialogue on screen. You're hearing two people talk over the, the film and right. I'm able to see more uh, aspects of the filmmaking a lot clearer, I think, without the distraction of trying to pay attention to the film itself. Sure. So, so I'm seeing a lot of interesting shots uh, in in placements. Uh, you know, when it comes to the cinematography, I was really struck. Especially, you know, I think it, it, one of the most striking things, of course, is the is the beginning and the opening credits. Of course, that long take mm-hmm. of him mm-hmm. on on the runway. You know, which is essentially him moving against his will uh, him being pushed to forward essentially you know it's a symbolic moment um you you have you have that moment where uh, when he gets home and it's focused a, a close up on his face and then his his parents enter the room one by one and it's still focused on his face and his his father is in the foreground his father's face is in the foreground obscured or um uh not focused you know uh, and then in his mother walks in just completely blocking in the screen and then it pans mm. back so it's something that really struck me for as uh, when you talk about the new hollywood well i don't know much about it i think that's one thing you can point to me being an amateur essentially can point to as saying oh this is different than what i've seen in the previous 20 30 40 years you know uh where it, it, earlier films will have a lot of staged blocking where a, a mm-hmm. lot of earlier films will have uh, edits, you know, cutting back and forth between the faces of the two or three characters that are, that are speaking. Whereas this is completely negating everything that's been established that you, you you're so used to in, in old Hollywood, essentially, you know? Uh, yeah. So it, it's seeing that uh, it, it, and being able to focus on something like that is really very, very interesting. Um, and when it comes to the acting, you know, I, I, I find little to fault with the acting. You know, uh, I, I honestly, I have little to fault with the film in general. I, I love it that much. I think it's it's a phenomenal film. Uh, so I, I, it, it's really just going to be a lot of praise for me, you know, on my <laughs> end nice. uh, when it comes to almost all aspects of this film. Maybe uh, I'll have a little bit of nitpicking when it comes to the music, but we'll get there. You yeah. know. Oh. So I mean, what, what, what do you, what did you think? Uh, 
I, I don't know. How, how do you guys feel? Aaron? Uh, well, I think the, uh, well, uh, first off, I, I think we should say that Nichols was, uh, he came from the stage and he had done uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Have you guys seen that? Yes. Yes. Big uh, fan. Very yeah, good acting you, vehicle. Yeah. So I, yes. he, he learned through uh, two professionals how to direct actors. And I, I think that uh, he, he took it to a, the next step here. Uh, of course, Bancroft was a, a major professional and also stage. And, and so was Hoffman, too, even though he wasn't as well known um, in film yet. Uh, of course, Bancroft had done The Miracle Worker. But he really got great performances out of these two, uh, and and Catherine Ross too. Uh, I I think she's a little overpraised. I I think she was playing oh. kind of a variation of herself. You can disagree; it's uh, fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm with you, Aaron, a little bit. Uh, yeah. I'm, I, she my heart. I mean, she was uh, <laughs> a person. You know, I, I I got it. I I got why he was attracted to her. But I I think the dynamic between Hoffman and Bancroft in really the first half of the film is just fantastic. And I think the best scenes are when those two are together. Of course, there's the famous. Uh, are you trying to seduce me scene, uh, which is great. You know, you see her uh, lighten, lighten up a little bit. She smiles, which is one of the few times she smiles in the film. Uh, but then, That's you know, right. she, you later see her go st- stone cold. You know, she reveals in the, in the first scene she's an alcoholic, and you kind of see the fallout from that and, you know, maybe, maybe the sadness of her life uh, as she's really sowing her wild oats with this uh, younger man uh, uh, later in the movie. And, of course, that that's what leads to, well, I, I won't get into plot stuff. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, I, I think they were both tremendous. Uh, another scene I, I think that really stands out with performance is the one in bed where they keep turning the yeah. lights on and off. Yeah. Uh, yep. And and uh, what was interesting, you mentioned the, the, the commentary with uh, Soderbergh. I didn't realize that the night shot was just a still, and they just played the, yeah. the audio. I thought that was really cool. So yeah, no, I think the performances are all great. Even the supporting performances, uh, the the nasally dad, the nasal sounding <laughs> dad, and the over exuberant uh, uh, mom, uh, you know, that, that screams <laughs> yeah. when her husband's uh, or her her son is uh, going to get married. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I think the direction was great. I, again, uh, with the cinematography, uh, although I, I think Nichols deserves a lot of credit for these shots too. Which uh, we heard him talk about on the, uh, you know, he liked the the long shots or the uh, the long lenses. That, and he really got some great results with that, uh, and then some odd angles. And and he said that he he would recommend that uh, the cinematographer and why am I forgetting the names? Sirtis was it? Sirtis. Sirtis. Thank you. Uh, and he'd say, "Oh, try it." And Sirtis would knock out a wall and try it, and, and it would mm-hmm. work. And so there were a lot of interesting, uh, I guess, views. And I think that uh, that helped, I guess, reveal that you know the the two fractured people you know the one that was in a, a loveless marriage and the one who was lost and didn't know what he want, wanted to do with his life yeah yeah i i okay so i have to agree with you aaron i think hoffman and bancroft are absolutely spectacular um i'm coming around a, a bit to ross uh she kind of comes and goes for me but i i would agree with you i think this film is most interesting when um they are on screen and i think it does lose something and it really you know the reason not quite uh the incredible film that i would normally say if uh, it really kept up uh the back and forth cat and mouse kind of game that they're mm-hmm. they're they're playing and maybe that's maybe it's more of a you know a Cat and mouse. Well, yeah, cat and mouse is right like, because she's a, a cougar, but she is so <laughs> icy cold and and powerful and yeah, so seductive and engaging. Uh, I just think it's um, she's she's amazing, and he just he really shows nervousness just perfectly. I mean, when he mm-hmm. you know he uh, 
puts his hand on on her breast and the, just that whole scene the whole sequence through the the hotel at the beginning is just uh, lovely um and of course you'll see the um the, the writer there uh, at, at the beginning is a little cameo so mm-hmm. buck, henry. buck henry is the the hotel yeah. attendant yeah yes sir a room i'd like a room please single room or a double room single just for myself please Did you sign the register please Anything wrong, sir? What? No, nothing. Do you have any luggage, Mr. Gladstone? Luggage? Yes, yes, I do. Where is it? What? Where is your luggage? Well, it's in the car. It's it's out there in the car. Very good, sir. I'll have a porter bring it in. Oh, no. I mean, I'd rather not go to all the trouble of bringing it all in. I just have the toothbrush. I can get it myself, that's all right. Of course. I'll have a porter show you the room. Oh, well, actually, I just as soon find it myself. I just have a toothbrush to carry up, and I, I can handle it myself. Whatever you say, sir. Thank you. And she manipulates him, too. He, um, she's, oh, she yeah. pulls the strings, and he just goes right along with it, like that little argument. Uh, of course, she, she wins every time, except for yeah. the, the, the big deal. <laughs> Yep, exactly. Yep, she it, and you can see it on her face. Uh, you know, he'll he'll kind of cut away um, mm-hmm. to uh, from her. But it, yeah, I I think it's really it's why we we relate to uh, Benjamin so much. I, I think partially because we see ourselves in him too, and uh, rather than being like, him being like a perfect lead originally, I'd, I had seen that Robert Redford was supposed to be cast, and uh, you know they they took a chance, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, uh, Hoffman absolutely uh, delivered and. You know the the cinematography. I I love it's just some really great. I love the handheld shots at the beginning where uh, everyone's pawing all over Ben, and um, you know he just he couldn't give two craps about those people. And you know I you can feel for it. I I've been in that situation. You just <laughs> don't want to be there. And he just captures it so well. And I I really think um, you know there's the the cut scene from the the pool to the you know the the perfect cut of him jumping and, right oh that um, that is yeah. that is easily one of the best shots i've ever seen the best best cuts i've ever seen it, it's yeah. phenomenal i remember the first time i saw this last year i was i was struck i was like in awe at that moment i was like what how did they accomplish that and then even even seeing it uh, the the few times later you know especially with all the supplemental material uh it, it still strikes me at how how effective it is, you know, within mm-hmm. that whole montage itself, you know, mm-hmm. and, and also going back to the cinematography, you know, it's really amazing to see how it does strike a balance between a lot of handheld shots, a lot of yeah. first per, mm-hmm. a lot of first person perspective, and then also a lot of long takes, you know, they, yeah. they make a point of it uh, as we'll get to in the supplements when they talk about it um, of a lot of key moments they use long takes because it makes it more effective and more real and more you're more involved in that moment you know instead of those handhelds and those handhelds it totally works because you're you're in the mood with him of being suffocated or drowned or or surrounded by by those all those elements that are that are uh, pushing against him you know so that that careful balance of going back and forth between uh, a handheld to long takes is is really well done, very yeah. well done. And and I like that they they did not uh, they were not stuck with long takes and and they they would do a lot of quick cuts and and sometimes really quick cuts like uh, like the church scene which we're going to get into in a bit. You know, there's yeah. a lot a lot of like really really uh, jarring cuts of just you know 
a couple seconds of movement uh, that just worked perfectly, and and they kind of ca- capture that energy, the chaotic energy. Whereas uh, you know the, you know, like of course the intro party, uh, you know that that's supposed to capture capture the awkwardness and just seeing him mm-hmm. roam around and being kind of lost in his own shell. Uh, you know, the filmmaking did uh, add to that, I think. Yeah, yeah. It, it even, it feels like a subtle camera to me somehow. And, you know, you, you could, maybe folks at the time would see it as, as flashy, but I just think it, it seems so effortless, uh, mm-hmm. the way it, it goes along. And, you know, that camera that was um, in the building that goes up and down the, the pole to kind of capture them on the stairs. It's just, yeah, it's a really, it, it, it's again, it's a testament to, I, I think you, uh, both of you kind of alluded to it, people working at the, the top of their games, really, and, and really being able to work on this. They had months to really plan this, um, mm-hmm. you know, and do do the, uh, you know, rehearsals and, and blocking and whatnot. So, However, yeah. I will I will point out two different zooms, uh, a zoom out and a zoom mm. in that work in contrast with each other that I think one is very effective and the other is not. The, the, the first one I'll talk about is the zoom out where um, uh, the Catherine Ross character uh, has that revelation with, uh, you know, uh, oh, right, right. Hoffman and, yeah. and, and Bancroft. And he comes out of the room and she's down the hall. It's it's close up on her oh, face yeah. and, it's, and it zooms out to, to his face. And, and then it fades out to the next scene. And I really like that scene. I think it's very effective. It's I like that too, uh, but yeah. Then, but then there's the scene later on in, in the film where he's waiting at Berkeley at the fountain mm-hmm. and he stands up and the camera zooms in past and through the, the fountain and over to her coming down the stairs. And I find that very distracting. I don't like it mm. that, that much. I, I think it's trying to do too much with the zoom lens, if you will. Uh, it, it just calls itself out to me a little bit as opposed to all the other great camera movements throughout the rest of the film. Uh, so it's just two zooms that I think are, are in conflict with one another. Yeah, hmm. I, th- I think they were playing around. So I, not everything was was a, a home run, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I would say most of the time, at least in my opinion, I think they did a pretty good job with the, uh, sure. the camera. And I like the way they use close-ups. You know, uh, of course, there's a very pivotal scene where, uh, you know, we see three characters, and we see when we see the uh, the mother, the daughter is. Uh, blurry and then she comes into yeah, focus yeah. and her Love reaction that. changes yeah so it's a fantastic yeah a lot of good it's shots. probably my favorite shot in the film it's just mm-hmm. yeah i love it <laughs> rewatch that so yeah and it's uh you know, he, he's definitely as far as nickels go he's an actor's director you know, he's someone and I, you'd really alluded to the uh, you know the stage aaron uh, he wanted input you know, there's some directors they just they want to um, not have input from the actors they want to direct them and he re- really wanted uh, input um, from uh, his actors, so yeah, nice. Uh, seems like a guy would be great to work with. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the music. Uh, we can't, of course, talk about this film without talking about it. Uh, 1967, really, the first time, maybe. Uh, are, are we going to sing together, first, guys? But... <laughs> <laughs> Which one do you want to do? Uh, do, do, do? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you don't want that. <laughs> we could go on for a while. Yeah, and it's you know. Typically, there were orchestra soundtracks up until this point, but, you know, a pop soundtrack was just not done. Um, so this was uh, pretty influencing. Mrs. Robinson, the song, was number one uh, on the charts for four weeks. It swept the Grammys. It won Record of the Year, Best Pop Performance by a Vocal Group, Best Original Song uh, for a score for motion picture. So really important. Uh, curious what you guys, you know, how did the music work for you, Tim? 
I yeah, for the most part, it, it works really well for me, uh, with the exception of one song, and mm. that is Scarborough Fair. Mm. I think if anything, that is played two, uh, maybe two times too many, especially because it it really comes in a lot towards the end of the film and. It seems to me like they ran out of music to use, or, or I couldn't choose or decide which music because, it, to, to me, it doesn't really add anything to the the mood of the film at that moment, uh, especially when he's driving around, you know, so much. I I, under, I don't really understand what it means so much. I mean, I, I totally get Mrs. Robinson. I totally get the sounds of silence. Um, and a lot of the other songs but for some reason that song is played too often for me uh and uh, it just i don't know it just call once again calls itself out uh for me again you know uh but other than that i think everything is, is great it's well done it, it, it's it's perfectly executed hmm. you just really don't like spices uh, speci- uh <laughs> specifically parsley sage rosemary and thyme is that <laughs> uh, yeah apparently i don't <laughs> yeah, I, I got to disagree. I, I actually really like the Scarborough Fair uh, sequences. And I think uh, if you read the lyrics of the of the film, it, it does, you know, it, it is about kind of a lost love or, you know, uh, she once was a true love of mine. Uh, and I just like that. Of, actually, that's probably my favorite song of the major songs. I think the major three songs, even though I, I like Sound of Silence, too. Uh, no, I, I think it's it's actually interesting seeing this and uh, seeing this as being groundbreaking because it's so normal now, you know. And sure. fact, sometimes now, they, in fact, now even since the seventies, eighties, people would uh, develop a film around a soundtrack and just to sell albums, uh, and I, that still happens to a degree. Yeah, I, I think uh, I did like the music a lot, and I, I really never noticed a, a false moment uh, thinking about it, Tim. With you know, with your point, so that's a that's a good sign. I did want to mention something that I, I thought of with the the lyrics of the Sound of Silence, which of course closes and uh, ends the the movie, um, which we did start with. It's uh, really about people not communicating and listening, and uh, it, it just got me thinking about, of course, this political climate that we're in right now uh, where we have these mm-hmm. kind of outside uh, <laughs> <laughs> candidates that, um, you know, seem to be really, um, you know, keying into maybe people who feel like they're not being listened to and, uh, you know, aren't, uh, um, you know, I, I don't know. It just seems like we're, we're getting some some strange uh, candidates that seem to resonate uh, with, with other people. So we've got, yeah. you know... The sound is who's... definitely not silence, though. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Good point. Good point. So, yeah, I just... Uh, it, it made me... Uh, it made me kind of uh, think about that. So it's just a, a strange kind of climate that we're in. You know, what's this almost uh, 40 years later? Well, mm-hmm. you know, well, later. yeah, I think I think the times now are actually very similar to 1968, you know, only a year after this movie. So yeah, I, I, I agree with your sentiments. Yeah, so, me too. I'm just going to leave that there. I'm, I'm going to leave it there, too. <laughs> <laughs> and let the listeners uh, piece together the rest. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get into to politics. But mm-hmm. so um, did want to, you know, we, we had a thought about the... Um, the psychology of the, the the relationship between the Robinsons and the Braddocks, and r- maybe this is really where we we need to get into um, kind of what you were alluding to, Aaron. This is a different kind of lifestyle that these uh, these people lead, and um, you know, middle middle class at least. And so we wanted to talk about them and you know what it says about the uh, the period. So um, you know, this is something I, I think you were thinking about, Aaron. Maybe I'll turn it to you first um, to talk about that. 
Whew, boy, that's heavy. Was that <laughs> uh, the psychology. Well, I, 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 yeah, I, I think it does reflect, uh, and, and I, I think just as we already kind of covered, the um, the fact that Dustin Hoffman and, and this little kind of underspoken, uh, not your prototypical Hollywood good looks, uh, you know, the fact that he is the leading man and, and he's kind of an awkward ninny in a way, I, I think that speaks to you know, people of the time could relate to that. Um, you know, 1967, things were changing, uh, and, and just the, the psychology of the world was changing. Uh, people could not identify with, uh, well, even though he would become fa- he would remain famous, uh, Robert Redford, n- not so much, you know. In fact, there's a reason Hoffman became, uh, uh, did, did have a career. And also Dreyfus, who's in this movie, Richard, Richard Dreyfus has mm-hmm. a, a bit part. Uh, he's another yep. guy that you could kind of put in the same, and, and Gene Hackman as well. A lot of actors that... Uh, just everything changed. Uh, the psychology around the relationship, um, sh- she is very, very tight, tight-knit, uh, um, and I, I, I think she almost, and she, of course she, even though the actress is only a, f- a few years older, she's supposed to be old enough to be his mother, and I think right. it, it, there's a generational issue there too, you know, uh, the older generation is enticing, uh, is attractive, but they can't really understand them. There's really nothing, there's no common ground. You know, they try to talk about art, but they, uh, and it turns out they both have uh, somewhat of an interest at at art uh, at different Mm -hmm. stages of their life, but they really can never connect. Uh, And so I I think that just maybe speaks to the the different generations. Uh, And maybe that's a reach. I don't know. You tell me. (laughs) Mrs. Robinson, do you think we could say a few words to each other first this time? I don't think we have much to say to each other. Look, for months, all we've done is come up here and leap into bed together. Are you tired of it? I'm not, no. But do you think we could liven it up for a little conversation for a change? Well, what do you want to talk about? Anything. Anything at all. Do you want to tell me about some of your college experiences? Oh, my God. How about art? Art? That's a good subject. You started off. You started off. I don't know anything about it. Well, what do you want to know about it? Are you interested more in modern art or in classical art? Neither. You're not interested in art? No. Then why do you want to talk about it? I don't. Now, look, we're going to do this thing. We're going to have a conversation. Tell me what you did today. (sighs) I got up. I fixed breakfast for my husband. There. There's something we could have a conversation about. Your husband. Oh, him. I mean everything. I don't know anything about how you work this. What do you say to him when you leave the house at night? Nothing. He's asleep. Always? Doesn't he wake up when you come home? (sighs) We have separate bedrooms. Oh, I see. So you don't... I mean, I don't like to seem like I'm prying, but I guess you don't sleep together or anything. No, we don't. Well, how long has this been going on? For God's sake, let's well, drop wait a this. minute. Why did you marry him? See if you can guess. Well, I can't. Oh, no, you had to marry him because you got pregnant. Are you shocked? Well, I never thought of you and Mr. Robinson as a kind oh, of people. All right, now, let's get to bed. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So how did it happen? What? You were Mr. Robinson. I mean, do you feel like telling me what were the circumstances? Was he a law student at the time? Mm-hmm. And you were a student also? Mm-hmm. At college? 
Yes. What was your major? Art. Art? But I thought you... Hmm. I guess you kind of lost interest in over the years then. Kind of. Certainly there with you. I, I did have a couple thoughts. Uh, Tim, any thoughts on the psychology of the relationships between the, the two families there? Uh, yeah, honestly, I, I, never, I didn't even think about it the way you had, Aaron. Um, you know, but I, I don't know. I think it can be just tied into the baby boomer generation that this movie spoke to, you know, that this movie was e- even uh, made by, essentially. Um, mm-hmm. uh, because, you know... Uh, Hoffman's character is literally a baby boomer and and he this whole movie is about him uh, uh, driving trying to drive himself away from the expectations of his parents of of his parents appears you know uh, so so he's he's trying to find any outlet uh, and it just so happens to come in this this offer essentially by Mrs. Robinson and and it's even offered uh, uh, in what she says later on in the film uh, about, you know, uh, her relationship with her husband and and what Benjamin gleans from that, you know, as to how they developed a relationship. So she she is someone who was probably in a similar situation to him at her age, uh, you know, when when she was his age, mm-hmm. uh, it, but she had no recourse. She had no way out because mm-hmm. that was just the time period, you know, the the twenty years earlier, you know. So, um, so, uh, and she's finally able uh, or willing to be able to, uh, uh, you know, come out of that shell essentially, it, 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 to detriment to herself, to her relationships, to anybody else around her, you know, and, and I also get get the sense that it, it, this is not the first time that she's done this, you know, mm-hmm. that that she has probably done this in the past, and that's why she seems so skilled and luring the bait, if you will, <laughs> uh, at the, you know, when when they. Um, when she first comes up to his room and then everything afterwards. So, yeah. so I, there, there, there is definitely a lot of layers there, but I think it just uh, really, it, it comes down to uh, essentially the, the outlook of the baby boomer generation, you know, uh, and, and the need to get out of the rut, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think um, thinking about their, their relationship, I mean, it's uh one thing I, I thought of, and I, I, you don't really get a lot of uh, insight into, as you guys were alluding to, Mrs. Robinson's, um, you know, her psyche. It's really just a one scene in the bedroom where he, he pushes her to talk. But I, I do think about, you know, the lives of these people who really don't want for anything. I mean, how do we really feel for them um, and uh, and about them? And she she is kind of, at this point, trying to exert some control in her, her life is uh, going for a younger man like this and then also denying her daughter. And I know we had talked about uh, control a, a bit in um, the, the Fat Girl episode. So it's I, I kind of uh, thought of it a, a, a bit that way. And it's a it's an interesting kind of dynamic, of course, between them as they are uh, partners in you know some kind of a business that we're, we're not really uh, familiar with. So. You know, and honestly, I think that this movie can really speak to a lot of millennials, you know, in this generation, where mm-hmm. oh, I think yeah. a lot 
I think a lot of them are feeling the same way where they they're they're coming into their own at the same age as Benjamin is that they don't know what to do, where to go, and and honestly aren't finding much recourse. So uh, in help in that uh, either. So so and they're just as lost as as he is. So I think that this this movie it, there's a reason why it's so timeless. You know, not yes. just speak yeah. not not just speaking to. Uh, any generation after that, but I think specific generations too. You know, so I I, I would not be surprised if this has a a, a rebirth in in um, appreciation. Yeah, that's a great sure. parallel. Uh, if you think about the, just the baby boom versus the millennials, uh, the only thing is uh, the millennials probably can't stand Simon and Garfunkel. <laughs> <laughs> that could be <laughs> they're listening to Adele or something. Yeah, well, maybe you know, maybe the the you know they'll like like Tim said they'll they'll come back to the movie and they'll come back to the music. We'll see. So, should we get into the ending? Uh, we've got the the church and the bus, and uh, yeah. So, if, if folks haven't uh, seen the graduate, uh, you might want to just skip ahead just a, a few seconds, a uh, couple minutes. We're gonna talk about that. Um, so, I'll turn it back to to you first. Tim, of course, we all set it up. We get the the church where uh, Elaine is going to marry some other guy, uh, really the Robert Redford character, although it's not played by him. Um, and Ben is chasing after her, furiously driving after her, trying to find out where they went. Um, he's pretty dubious in the, the way he does that. And he gets to the church um, right after they have been declared husband and wife, which is a bit of a change. Uh, the book actually had it happening before that. Uh, just a little interesting switch. And, of course, he's banging on the, the glass. Uh, she turned, calling, Elaine, Elaine. And uh, she she turns around, and um, you know, there's a really, really great moment where she is uh, considering walking towards him, looking at her parents uh, and uh, her fiance husband really at that time and uh, just decides and and yells after ben and then there's a kind of a, a chase a fight ensues um there's the scene where the um the uh, he ben is swinging a cross which is the part that i was alluding to before where he actually swings the cross at them and then he sticks it in the door to kind of keep them locked in the church where i was you know alluding to that as the you know the the end of um the really you know closing off the uh, the old generation kind of similarly to doing that with uh, in film uh, so to speak the old hollywood uh, and then we get to they they ride off on the bus um, and there's the of course the iconic long shot where they're kind of considering that and I, I'll, I'll let you guys talk about that i think it's uh, just a great uh, moment uh, real quick just about the cross what was kind of funny is that in the, uh, the 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 one commentary with uh, uh, soderberg and uh, and um I, Nichols. <laughs> Nichols. Nichols. Thanks. In that commentary, they they said that uh, the that a lot of people had read into that cross as meaning something, but they actually just saw it as a utility you'd find at a church that you could swing at people and and <laughs> bar great. a door. So they uh, anyway, that I thought that was funny. That's uh, good. Uh, yeah, it is. It is a good moment. And, and um, Mark, you you talk about that moment as closing off the old Hollywood. I think that's perfectly tied into the other. Uh, end moment of of these a movie in the same year in Bonnie and Clyde uh, mm. where uh, the two of them are being riddled with bullets and those two I think are perfect uh, endings to that that old Hollywood you know uh, one in closing off um, 
you know the the old people as you as you said and the and the other one as uh you know uh bursting you into a a glorious revolution of violence you know in mm-hmm. film so so i think those two can be tied in uh, very closely together but the 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 ending of of the graduate i i i love it i i think it's phenomenal you know from the moment that he's running uh to mm-hmm. y- y- you know uh, with that long <laughs> yeah with that long lens uh yeah. that they mentioned that they had to to use specially uh and into the the whole church scene is great it's well edited it's phenomenal it, you know obviously if going into this movie fresh brand new not knowing anything about it i didn't know that uh they changed the ending from the book so you know i uh, knowing that afterwards, it, it's an interesting note, but I don't think it really uh, changes my opinion of the ending at all because I think it works with everything else that's delivered uh, throughout the rest of the film. I, I think uh, it, it's it, it's both of them considering their lives, considering what has befallen them to this moment, and then realizing uh, effort. You know, effort. We we. Uh, w- we need to do uh, uh, what is against uh, everybody else's wishes, even if it isn't for the uh, the betterment of us, you know, not knowing mm-hmm. what's in the future. Because they obviously don't know what's in the future, especially by that moment at the end on the bus, you know, where the, the, the looks on their faces, uh, you know, uh, wavering between smiling and laughing and... and and moments of reflection and 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 concern for the future and going back and forth between them, uh, I think it is is a wonderful wonderful touch, especially within the context of, the, like I said, the baby boomer generation, you know, moving forward with their own lives. Yeah, I, I, the the last uh, you know minute or two I, I, that that you reference, I, I I love that because, of course, realistically. This is a, a doomed relationship, I think. You know, they they just run out of a wedding. Uh, you know, the, 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 he'd had an affair with her mother, and you know, the parents hate him, and it's probably going to cause problems in his family. If you you really put two and two together, it's probably not going to work out. But of course, really, you 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 come away with that. You don't think that the relationship is, works out? I, I mean, I, maybe it, maybe it could. I they definitely want it. They definitely do. I mean, they're they're running away together. They're they're that's the impulse, and they're acting on it. Right, and, but it it, def, it it definitely leaves it open to the viewer, you know. And that's one sure. thing I've said on my show uh, regularly mm-hmm. is that I I I like moments in the end of films that leave a little bit of ambiguity to the viewer, and I think that this totally leaves it up up to you. And and to me, I think that there is definitely a chance, if not just mm-hmm. out of pure stubbornness, that they stay together. Um, <laughs> but I, uh, Aaron, you you feel differently. Well, I, I, I really didn't want me to speculate too much about where they're going. I, just that that it's a complex situation, and so they're sure. they're jubilant, and and we see their laughter. But then, it, you know, as you mentioned, in the next moment, they're reflective, and and I'm sure they're they're kind of thinking, oh, what have I done? You know, I, I we right. we've just uh, and, and she's married, <laughs> so they they were yeah. too late. So I, you know, you think are, are they going to get it an old? Are they going to, you know, how, how's that going to play out? Uh, nah, I, of course, maybe the I'll, I'll be a romantic and think that they will end up together, but. It, it's, it's going to be a challenge, you know, and, and of course, life is not easy and, and it's not going to be easy. And I think that's part of the point of the film. Uh, it's, you know, you can't just uh, just get what you want. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a there is a a, a piece too. There, it's interesting in the supplements they kind of go back and forth as to how the ending happened, and you know it would only they would only talk about that if you know because it is so uh, popular. Uh, I think it is seen as a, a really great ending, and it, mm-hmm. the piece that I I think is is neat is it seems like it may have been uh, the editor Sam Osteen who was there uh, on the bus as the um, you know the the second director or you know a, another director, and he was uh, there and he forgot to yell cut. So they just kind of keep the camera rolling uh, on the two characters, and you see that range of, of emotion for him. And of course, I think Nichols says that you know it was it was him, but who knows? I, I guess it doesn't really matter. I kind of like the the Osteen uh, uh, you know piece of it that maybe they were just kind of staying in character, and not really <laughs> uh, completely uh, you know within an acting. But uh, and the the thing that um, you know really struck me too is you really get you really get that really uh, range of emotions. Uh, from them. So, you know, they're laughing, you really get that uh, elation, and then to that really, what do we do now uh, kind of uh, emotion on them. And I, I thought of it today where it's really, it's really what it feels like when you, even before your child is born, but on the day that your child is born, you'll have that same kind of feeling where, um, you know, you have that, of course, that incredible elation, especially when I, I think, uh, you know, when your first child is born, but then it's like this you know, huge responsibility um, will come over you, whether it's that day or, or later. Like, you know, I have this uh, child to, to take care of, um, you know, for the for the rest of my life. And it's a it's a big responsibility. And I, I think mm. you kind of see that, you know, a similar kind of range of emotions with them from elation to, um, you know, what do we do now? <laughs> so, yeah, great, uh, great ending. So why don't we, you know, we've talked about that and really the, the last question I, I wanted to kind of ask, and maybe this can kind of lead into your, your film rating is, uh, you know, it's considered one of the all-time great American films. Uh, it didn't win Best Picture, it was nominated, won for Best Director. Uh, it is a comedy, and, uh, you know, why is this such a important film? I mean, Criterion made it their spine number 800. I mentioned it's a big spine number for them. It's a very well-beloved film. So what, what makes it so great? Uh, Tim, what do you think? And, well, uh, I you mean— know, You can lead into your, your film rating, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like I alluded to, and I've said before, uh, previously, you know, I think it, it, it speaks to the— the, a, a specific generation so clearly with with such force you know mm-hmm. uh, and and with believable performances for me you know believable uh, uh elements uh, just um moments that that resonate you know in in would i do this would i do that you know and and oh uh, what if i could do that you know what he's doing um, I just, I just think it's it's one of those seminal films, you know, that comes out at a specific time that, that is, it may be like a once in a generation film, you know, that mm. that speaks to so many people on such a visceral level, um, and maybe not once in a generation, you know, probably every ten years you get a film like that, you know, so uh, that that propel that propels uh, not just an audience forward, but the medium itself. I think that there's so many elements in this film uh, that, that come together so fluidly that, that, uh, that is so propulsive, you know? So uh, it's, I mean, it, it, it's just so hard to not heap praise on this film, you know, because it, it, it means so much. Uh, and, yeah, and like I think I said, you like I, this film. I, I, I adore this film. I love it. You know, nice. it, it's it's 
one of the things I had feared going into this dissection of this criterion uh, was that I would uh, like it a little bit less or become a little bit tired of it with all mm. of the examination, you know. Uh, and it wasn't the case, you know, that that's, um, I was just surprised at how well I, I still hold it in such a high regard, you know. And I think that that, that shows it's lasting endurance, you know? Uh, so, uh, if, if it comes to a film rating, you guys do a number scale one through 10. Yep. One mm-hmm. to 10. I would give it a 9.5 out of 10. Nice. Uh, I, I think, I think it's that good, that worthy, uh, of su- such a high rating. The, the only thing that, uh, um, keeps it from being a perfect 10 is something I said before is that repeated song of Scarborough fair. <laughs> I, I, I think it's just a, a lost moment when it comes to musical choice. Uh, but it's obviously it doesn't ruin the film in any way for me at all. So it, it's, it's that good. Hmm. Cool. Tim just doesn't like fairs. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> he's not, <laughs> no, fair. not nine, 9.5. It's good. Uh, so Aaron, what do you think? Why is it one of the greats? You know, I, I don't think I can answer better than Tim just did. And I, I think just the way it spoke to him uh, really does answer the question. I, I, I think I think it's watchable. I think it's it's funny. I think it's it's awkward. And I think it's uh, it has characters we like, even even Mrs. Robinson to a, to a degree. Uh, and, and definitely Elaine and uh, Benjamin. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's funny. It's timeless. Uh, it's relatable. A lot, a lot of reasons why this has resonated, and and also it's it's a uh, it was an important film. It was a, a big film, yeah. as we mentioned. Uh, pictures at a revolution. Pictures had a revolution. Um, you know, it, it did uh, pave the way for some more films uh, going forward. So, uh, as for film rating, uh, I I do like a lot of it, and uh, which we've I've already kind of said. I do have a, some quibbles about the middle part. I, I think when they when he goes up to Berkeley and any of the the stuff with the the the, the landlord Norman Fell uh, pre Three's Company uh, oh, yeah. wasn't as effective. I, in fact, I think and and actually, even though I like the song Scarborough Fair and and how they use it in the movie, I, I thought it was a little too montage heavy. So I don't. It for me, it didn't hold up to scrutiny as much as as it did for you, Tim. But I would, but I still like it, and I, I, I like the first forty-five minutes. I think are, are almost gold. It, I, I could watch those. Mm-hmm. You know, really, the courting and uh, and really just the rapport between him, between Hoffman and Bancroft. So I'm going to say a seven point five. So that probably is right about my original rating. I think, um, but that, that to me, that's a good film. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I was a little concerned when you uh, <laughs> were talking on Chronicles, but I thought, well, maybe if Aaron delves into the supplements, it might might change. But it, well, it sounds like you're about there. Just to speak to that, I, what I said was it was my least favorite of those that are coming out in March, and it's that's right. still the case. Uh, March is a great month okay. for Criterion. So, uh, uh, but that doesn't really, that, you know, it's like uh, uh, five golden eggs, and one just doesn't have as much luster as the others. So I, that's a terrible <laughs> right. analogy. But uh, yeah, there you go. What, you, what yeah, about you, Mark? Yeah. Good, good, good stuff. Yeah, I, I do. Uh, I like it quite a bit. I think it, it certainly resonates as an American film. We've talked about it quite a bit. I, I do think it, it does um, take some risks. I mean, Americans are seen as people that take some risks sometimes, and you know, sometimes it, it works out. We're innovative people, so uh, this certainly is an innovative movie. It's a smart comedy. Uh, very much. It, it is a comedy, although sometimes maybe it doesn't seem like it, but I, I laugh out loud every time I see it, uh, certain scenes. Mm-hmm. It captures 
uh, suburban wife. I, you know, it has all of the uh, the influences there from um, some of the you know great filmmakers that that we like, like uh, you know your Antonioni's and your Fellini's. Uh, love to to see that. Um, I did like. Uh, th- there's really, a, a really. I was thinking about the ending too, where uh, Elaine looks at her mother and father and Carl, uh, and she just doesn't want uh, any of that. And that you know, she decides to go with Ben. I just think of that as, uh, you know, she knows what she's going to get with them. Ben is the excitement, kind of the unknown future, and that's um, you know, that can be seen as something that's uh, American. Just you know, jumping into it and. You know, just going for it. So, yeah, I think it's a great uh, American film. I'm probably um, just a touch below Tim. I'm with you, Aaron, that I think it uh, really the beginning part, uh, as soon as we lose Mrs. Robinson, it's just not quite as interesting. Um, although I did like the date scene where um, you mm-hmm. know, Ben takes Elaine out. I thought that was that was well done. Oh, I know what you um, liked about that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're missing a great talent here. Uh, so <laughs> no, but I, I'd, I'd give I'd give the film uh, a nine. I, I could go as high as a nine and a half, but I, I think it does kind of lose it a little bit there. It's interesting. They did talk about the structure and some of the supplements, whether it's, you know, is it a three act? Is it is it missing a middle act? You know, is it only two mm-hmm. acts? So. Um, it doesn't quite have the, it, the structure doesn't quite nail it. So it's a nine, but Hey, we've been talking about the supplements. So, um, you know, let's, let's talk about it. I, I'm going to say, you know, it with criterion, it's hard to, um, not appreciate a film with, uh, looking at the supplements. They are so persuasive. So, um, you know, I was interested to see how that kind of colored, uh, our thoughts, but, um, there's a lot, so I'll be brief. Buck Henry and Lawrence Terman, the screenwriter and producer, respectively. Um, that's a new conversation with them. Um, and <laughs> catch me if I if I miss one. Uh, there's a interview, new interview from 2015 with Dustin Hoffman. Um, there's also Sam and Mike. That's Sam Osteen, the legendary editor I mentioned before. Uh, who had also done Virginia Woolf, uh, Cool Hand Luke, Rosemary's Baby in Chinatown. His wife, um, and uh, her widow, really. Um, she is a writer, historian, editor in her own right. She talks about her late husband and working with uh, with Nichols. There's Students of the Graduate. This is a documentary from ni- uh, 2007. Features a lot of filmmakers, critics, and historians. Uh, the Graduate at 25. This goes back to 92. Um, talks to Hoffman, Catherine Ross, screenwriter Buck Henry, and uh, producer Lawrence Terman. Um, Nichols on the Barbara Walters Show, 1966. Paul Simon on the Dick Cavett Show, 1970. Uh, some screen tests, including Hoffman and Ross and some others. A long trailer. And uh, they ported forward two commentaries. So one, I believe, was new for the Blu-ray release. Uh, this is Mike Nichols and Steven Soderbergh, 2007. And uh, they did bring forward the Howard Suber commentary, 19. Uh, 87. He is um, a film scholar um, and provides a visual and thematic analysis of The Graduate. So, uh, Tim, supplements, what did you think? This is your, <laughs> it's great to hear, you know, this is really your first time delving into something like this. I'm very curious what you it thought. Re- yeah, it really is. You know, like I said before, I'm not one to go into a lot of, of supplements or any at all. You know, I remember when DVDs first started getting popular back in 99, 2000. And, and you know, they, a lot of the earlier DVDs used to have all these extra features, you know, uh, probably not criterion level features, but a lot of extra features that, you know, was a big 
uh, seller, at least, uh, uh, you know, it's like, oh, this new thing, this new technology has this extra stuff, you know. So sure. and, and even then, I, I wouldn't go into it that much, you know. And, uh, and nowadays, you get a DVD or a regular Blu-ray, there's barely anything, you know, other than maybe some trailers and, and uh, uh, a studio driven yeah. uh, co- uh commentary mm-hmm. or or five or ten minute documentary you know whatever uh more just selling the picture or anything but with something like this yes this is something very brand new to me so i mean i was able to get into most of the supplements not everything i mean i only listened to one of the commentaries that was the one with nichols and steven soderberg and that was one huge pleasant pleasant surprise for me when i got the blu-ray was i look at the back and i see steven soderbergh's name mm-hmm. on it and i'm like wow because uh, i'm beginning to develop an unhealthy obsession with steven soderbergh <laughs> nice. uh, because i'm fascinated with his career i'm fascinated with what he's doing uh what he has done and what he's doing i think he is uh um it's very obvious how much of a student of film he is and how much he likes to uh, incorporate his knowledge into what he does because he's not just a a, uh, a director anymore. He's a cinematographer essentially nowadays. I mean, he, he uh, shot... I was fascinated with how he shot and what he did with Magic Mike XXL last year. And, uh, and so, you know, when it comes to... The, uh, the the commentary. I I just loved everything about uh, what he was asking Mike Nichols. You know, uh, when it comes to the beginning of the film, when it comes to uh, you know rehearsals and the the scuba outfit scene, and the when he talks about audio prelapse, whatever the heck that means. You know, and and the use of music, and then how you know Benjamin is with his, his uh, with the expression of her shame and, and, ju- you know, uh, it's just uh, so many things that him and Nichols were able to, uh, get into, which I, I really enjoyed, you know? Uh, so, uh, I mean, you know, as, as far as the supplements, I think that's the one thing that really stuck out to me. Uh, yeah. Uh, the interview with Hoffman, I think is pretty good. You know, how he talks about how he tested and, and how, uh, he had this real, you know, relationship with Hackman and, and, uh, um, Somebody else, uh, Duval, Robert Duval. Duval, uh, yeah, right. yeah. So, and how Hackman, you know, uh, tested for the Mister Robinson role. So, uh, that was pretty, pretty interesting to me. Uh, I really enjoyed the Buck Henry Lawrence Terman uh, conversation. I think mm. there was a lot to to uh, to grasp onto there. You know, when it comes to the how uh, Nichols insisted on Panavision, how. Uh, you know, they chose uh, Mike Nichols from Barefoot in the Park, you know, uh, and uh, the book versus the movie and uh, and how the, um, you know, they talk about the middle class and how, uh, what it, you know, what it means. A lot of the stuff that we've already talked about, too. I like the settings. Um, uh, the, the the two interviews, one with Dick Cavett and the other one with Barbara Walters, how it really gets you into that setting of that era. Uh, yeah. So it, it, it's really a great uh, slice of that time. And I, that, those are moments that I really, really enjoy. I, I really... <laughs> I have here smoking exclamation mark exclamation mark because <laughs> a lot of smoking. There's tons yeah. of smoking. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I I really enjoy the 
um, just the, the the conversations that they had, and, and also I kind of wish that Barbara Walters would, when she cuts to commercial, I wish that they would have shown a period commercial of that time. Hmm. Um, but other than that, no, it, it, everything is great. The trailer runs for three minutes and forty five seconds. <laughs> Holy so cow! Long. Holy cow! <laughs> so long. It, show, it shows so much. So obviously there there was a lot to dig into, and I, and uh, I, I liked a lot of it. So are, are you sold on supplements now, Tim? Are you going to delve into mm, them? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, uh, maybe uh, only with movies that I really hold in such high regard. And so uh, why don't you give uh, your criterion rating? Uh, since you talked about the supplements, we give a you know scale of a, a 1 to 10. What would you give it? Anything with Steven Soderbergh gets a 10 for me, so I'll give it a 10. <laughs> Nice. There you go. Yeah, if if you Aaron. didn't give it a ten after uh, after that, I I would be disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I'll just be brief because I I think you guys have both covered both of them uh, very uh, very well. Uh, I'll just say that uh, you know a lot of times when a a, a a movie that's been released on Blu-ray already comes a Criterion, sometimes there's a, a little bit of hate from the community. Maybe, maybe hate's not the right word, but a, a little bit of like, oh... A little backlash or... A little bit. They'll say, well, why yeah. don't you put out something that hasn't been there before? But I think Criterion usually steps up and makes the, the package worthwhile, and, and I think that's what happened here. I think the supplements are very comprehensive. You know, two commentaries, you know, all these mm-hmm. documentaries. So I, I think that they, even though I don't love the film as much as you guys, uh, I, I think that the package, it, 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 it is... It actually benefits the film or enhances the film, and it really gives context to everything uh, and the time, the time period that it was made. So I, I, I'd say the Criterion rating would be nine point five. For me. Nice, yeah, nice. I I'm gonna go nine point five too. Uh, Tim, I would highly recommend checking out the Howard Suber commentary when you when you do get a chance. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's it's well worth your time. Uh, that was my favorite supplement by far. I'd heard great things about it, and it did not disappoint it's just there's so much insight with uh with that one just about the the influences and the filmmaking it's 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 incredible how much information is in there i i took so many notes that i'd I'll probably go come back to at some point and i'll just mention uh spoiler alert for folks um that's not Anne bancroft uh in the the film that's a body double uh for the, the, the flash <laughs> cut there so yeah I just letting you know <laughs> I didn't want to know that. I'm kidding. Super uh, Super mentions that it was he 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 puts in you know his his whole the commentary you could almost say it's dry but he puts in some moments of humor it just goes along so nicely it's a really nice piece. I really did like the screen tests how you see the three different screen tests the first one between Tony Bill and Jennifer Leake bad acting really bad acting <laughs> yeah. uh, second one between Robert Lipton and Kathy Carpenter whisper acting. <laughs> and then the third one, immediate chemistry between the two, uh, the yep. two of them. Uh, so, and and I, I, Aaron, I gotta disagree with you about Catherine Ross. I love her in this film. She, Ooh. she, uh, not only is she one of the three most beautiful people I've ever seen on screen between her, Claudette Colbert, and Ava Green. Hmm. Um, I, I think she is a powerhouse in this film. I, I think she's strong, fantastic. Uh, yeah, I, I do too. And I, and we we reference the one scene with the uh, where where she kind of turns on a dime and shows some emotion. Yeah, yeah she's very yeah. strong. I just meant, you know, some, she she was playing more of herself. I, I think she actually didn't have as much opportunity as Hoffman oh, okay. and uh, and Bancroft uh, just because, you know, actually she, she really comes into the picture in the second half. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, sure. Yeah. Yep. Very, fair, fair. very fair. Yep. Well, I, I would give it a 9.5 for Criterion rating. I mean, I, I would have loved for a Spine 800 a movie like this, a Digipack, 
uh, would have been great. And mm-hmm. uh, there is a little bit of overlap in the supplements, but you know that's going to happen, I think. But yeah, overall, uh, 9.5, just a beautiful release. And so, Aaron, the big question, are we going to canonize this thing? No. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I, I, I think we have to have... Um, you know, consensus uh, to canonize it. Because I, I would, but, you know, I understand we you can't go there. Well, you know, I, I think you guys probably would vote yes. I know Tim would vote yes. Uh, and, and, and and we did, uh, there wasn't consensus for Slacker. So if, if you guys want to put it in the canon, we can. Hey, hey it's your show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave it up to Mark. No, I, I think we'd have to agree on it, Aaron. You know, and I, I, I'd canonize it, but I, I do have some of the issues with the film that you do. So, you know, if uh, if you don't feel it should, then it, it doesn't deserve to be there. So All right. Not, not yeah. going in the canon. All right, Benjamin, you're too easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, this film tried to seduce us, but just didn't quite make it. Yeah, it's pretty close. So. Well, that is uh, Criterion Close-Up, The Graduate from Mike Nichols. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, uh, again, Tim. As I mentioned before, great to have you on. Uh, it's been a great time. You you, you know, brought me up from uh, just the little baby podcaster <laughs> that I was to uh, what we're doing now. So uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, thank you. It was an honor, really. I, like like I said, I, it's totally out of my league, but it's definitely no. an honor to be with you, too. <laughs> oh, you you were great. more than held up. You did great. Yeah. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Really incredible. So where can folks find you and First Time Watchers online? Oh, where can't you find us? Uh, firsttimewatchers.blogspot.com is our, all of our uh, back catalog, uh, catalog. You can find us on iTunes. You know, our, our, our feed is there constantly. Um, you can find us on Twitter, at 1STTimeWatchers. We're always interacting with people. Uh, we love to interact with people uh, about yeah. movies. Uh, firsttimewatchers.tumblr.com. Uh, so, yeah, a bunch of places. Is there a first-time watchers on Facebook? Yes, absolutely. First-time watchers, uh, just search first-time watchers on Facebook, and you'll see us right there. Cool. Excellent. Definitely follow uh, first-time watchers. They're a fun, fun listen. Listen to their show. Check them out. You, you won't be disappointed. You can find Criterion Close-Up online at Criterion CU on Twitter, uh, Facebook slash Criterion Close-Up, and you can find us at CriterionCloseUp.com. And Aaron, we can find you on the Twitter sphere. Yes, uh, AWest505, and I just checked, and I, I like uh, First Time Watchers on Facebook, so there you go. Nice. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> nice. And I'm Mark Herney. You can find me online. It's H-U-R-N-E is my last name on Twitter, at Mark Herney. And uh, thank you, uh, folks, for listening. Definitely share the show. We need some more iTunes reviews. It's been over a month since we had a review, so please uh, send us a review. We want to know what you think of the show. Uh, Give us a star rating. It helps us reach other listeners. Our next episode will be a Criterion Close-Up episode. I'm not sure how much more we want to talk about that at one of our interviews. I think we can say it's about art again. All right. About Criterion art. So Criterion Close-Up on Art. So we are going to, uh, we we let in with uh, the Sound of Silence, and we're going to let it end us. So we'll talk to you next time. Echo the of silence And the people bow and pray To the neon god they made sign flashed out its warning in the words that it was forming and the sign said the words of the prophets are written on the subway walls 
tenement halls whispered the sounds of silence.